Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Uh, so this January, we are in our series, Yes, leaning into four uh invitations uh, that the Christian church has always held out as ways for us to journey better with God. These are four foundational practices um, that the Christian church has always had. Uh, We've talked about scripture, um, and and that week we talked about some different ways to really lean into scripture. Uh, Last week was solitude. Stephen encouraged folks to spend just like 30 minutes uh, of solitude uh, a day last week. Today we're talking about silence. Got some practices for you for this week, and then we're going to finish with simplicity. So Stephen talked about our souls being really like uh, jumbled up, roiled up, um, and this was very gray when he shook it up. Our lives are shaken up. We just got a lot, a mess and a lot going on. But he assured us that if we spend a week sitting calmly in some solitude, that things will start to settle and clear in this water. And you know what? I mean, other than the huge pile of dirt at the bottom, it's crystal clear. So, uh... Nature's filtration system, I mean, really. (laughs) (sighs) Refreshing. I mean, why did I even bother bringing up a second glass of water? Well, this morning, I pray that our souls would settle and that we would find refreshment and that calm and that peace when we are alone with ourselves in the presence of God. Let's pray, and then we'll read our scripture for today. Jesus, we present ourselves before you. Scripture says, present yourselves before the Lord, a living sacrifice. And in life, there is a lot going on. We carry our grief. We carry our stress and worry. We carry our hopes and our to-do lists and and carry it all before you. Jesus, we are a living sacrifice before you on your altar, Lord God, for you to do with what you will. And we come to you today for so many things that we need from you, so many ways that you want to meet us, but most of all, we come to you for our soul. We need you for our soul. This morning, would you speak to us? Would you touch us? Um, Would you speak to us on this topic of silence, Lord God? Show us what you have specifically for me, for you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, looking at a guy who had a lot more experience with silence than he wished for or was anticipating. (coughs) When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a a member of the priestly order. His wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. 
You know, I'd like to pause here and suggest that we actually have a little bit more in common with Zechariah and Elizabeth than we might think. They were called righteous and blameless. Zechariah was a priest of good reputation. He was a follower of God, and we too are followers of God. Fairly good. You're here on a cold day, good followers of God, you know? And Zechariah and Elizabeth also, they needed things from God that they could not accomplish themselves. Same for us. We need things from the Lord. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. Uh, as it was his custom, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. He entered the sanctuary, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the incense altar. This is a very special place, but not usually quite that special. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear as he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Instead of being filled with alcohol, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. This is his way of saying, and she's old too. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When his week of service was over, he returned home, and his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. The word of the Lord. So God gives Zechariah everything he wanted, and because he didn't believe he also got a punishment. Prize and punishment, right? Guys, I don't actually think that silence was like just a punishment. It was a result of his disbelief. But I think silence was the most helpful thing to him. God doesn't just give us a slap when he he helps us, he trains us, he, he disciples us. And Zechariah didn't just need a punishment. He needed silence. For most of us, uh, I, I don't think we need nine months of silence. Maybe, unfortunately, God's not doing anything epic enough in our life to, to warrant that. 
but we all need some silence. I think there are three main things that silence accomplished for Zechariah and three main things that silence can help us with. First, silence helps us hear. Think about it. If Zechariah had just stopped and been quiet and, and pondered the angel's words, he might have understood a little bit more. He might have believed just uh, uh, enough. Richard Foster says that the purpose of solitude and silence is being able to see and hear. Silence is listening with your life, not necessarily just straining with your ears, but listening with your time, your priorities, your, your attitude. We tell our crazy, busy life to shh, stop it. Work, texts, music, no, God is doing something. I want to be able to hear. We listen to God, not just in 10-second, fill-in-the-blank, quick, quick questions, but in longer times of opening and surrender when our bodies are calm and still so we can actually feel, where our ears become accustomed to quiet so we can actually perceive if we're able to sit with our anxieties and frustrations in all of life for long enough and, and not give up, we realize that the things we most need to know will be heard at the listening level. That the place within us where God's spirit speaks to our spirit, that's where we learn what we need to learn. Where God speaks to us of things that we cannot understand through human wisdom or smart advice or verbal processing. Spiritual discernment uh, is given as a pure gift in God's way, in God's time, beyond what the human mind uh, can force if we are open and we are available to hear. You know, I'll be driving myself crazy with some little problem or, or, or some big problem, like, what am I going to do about this? And, uh, and then I'll be like, wait. Have I actually calmed myself and stopped and listened to what God has to say about this? I was at a conference uh, last year or something. I was like, you know, great, great conference. And usually I'm like, God, what do you have to say to me at this conference? I was on like day two. I was like, God, you haven't really spoken to me at this conference. And he's like, what about last Friday? I was like, oh, yeah, that was, that was really helpful. I was, you know, at a coffee shop, reading and journaling for a while, went on a walk. Like, God just really downloaded a lot to me because I had time and space and quiet. God speaks to us when we give him space to, to speak to us. When we give him silence to, to listen to him. I think about... With my kids, um, a while ago, my oldest daughter was probably like five years ago. Um, it was during the summer, and uh, I had her here doing a little work while I was trying to do some work. She was playing on my old laptop, and then we get in the car and head out, and she's right next to me in the front seat, and she's like, Mom, I think there's something wrong with your laptop. Really? What's going on? Well, it's a really funny pattern on the screen. It's like, just it up and, and show, show it to me quickly. So she, she's in the back seat, 
pulls it up, shows it to me. The screen's just all cracked. I'm like, something is definitely, that laptop is not working again. Like, what happened? And I just, you know, closed it, and then, then I heard something, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's finished. That's, and she starts to cry. She's like, Mom, I just, I feel like a really bad kid. I'm like, oh, honey, like, that's, I was like, I, the laptop is okay. It was old, but we will work this out. I'm like, I want you to just take a minute and talk to God about the laptop and hear what he has to say to you. It's just quiet for a minute. It's like, okay, I'm done. It's like, God says, he really loves me and I'm a good kid. Like, I didn't tell her that. That wasn't from me. That was an accusing thought from someone. Then we talked a little bit. I was very chill about the laptop, and it was old. And, you know, we, we work it out, talked a little bit about that. But, like, that's something she needs to hear from God. Um, when we are silent, we give God space to, to speak. Um, silence also helps us trust Silence is kind of like an incubator for our life with God. Silence guards the words of God. The angel said, I'm Gabriel. My words are from God to you. You will be silent, but the words of God will certainly be fulfilled. In other words, you're going to shut up, but everything God has said is going to come true. God's words accomplish everything. Our words... Mm, not so much. Silence teaches us that God's words create, not ours. That God is trustworthy. That God's word is worth hanging on to every syllable in awed silence. God is working. God is working. Our souls and God's work in our souls is valuable and precious. Put, put a hand over your, your core, over your heart, and say, God is working. God is working, but our mouths are sometimes like this like release of valve that escapes. It's, it's kind of like if the heat is on in this building, but then this door is left gaping open. Is there anything wrong with the heat in the building? Our board members are like, please, God, no, not the furnace. There's nothing wrong with the heat. What's wrong is how the heat is being guarded and protected. There's nothing wrong with how God's working. What's wrong is how it's being prematurely exposed and trampled on. That was chill. I can feel that. Ooh, this is a good day to do that. <laughs> uh, because most of us, if we're honest... If we had an experience like Zechariah in that temple, here's exactly what we would do. We'd be like, Elizabeth, 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 you'd never guess what happened to me. And then the angel was right there and described what he looked. And then he said this, or was it that first? And analyze all of the words. And I don't know, I, I hope it will happen. What do you think? 80%? Let's, let's ask some of the other priests, get, get their input, see what they have to say. I'm not, I won't tell everyone yet, except maybe they really like it, in which case, put on the kettle, I'm going to spill the tea. You talk to everyone about it. You analyze it. And like, I love to talk. So no, no shade there. But we feel like 
if we don't say something, you're going to explode. You're just, I have to say it. I have to say it. You don't have to say it. That's not true. Our words don't really change that much. The abiding word of God, however, that changes everything. Our most important conversation is the conversation with God. Zechariah, he needed to guard what had happened in that tabernacle. He needed to learn between himself and God to love the word of God, to trust the God who speaks. In nine months of silence, he let God do the talking. He trusted God. He learned that God's promises apply even to himself. Ecclesiastes 5 says, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words makes you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. Talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. There are a number of um, correlations we see here with silence. There's typically a connection between godly silence and wisdom. And if you just go quietly and sit in the corner and look at your phone, that's not wisdom. But we know that verbal vomiting is not edifying. Uh, There's typically a correspondence between keeping words to yourself, knowing where you end and others begin. That's a good start to wisdom. And there is definitely a a relationship between fear and reverence of the Lord and not blabbering on in the presence of Almighty God and not stepping in to play Holy Spirit. You let God convict and you hold your peace. So I think the third real benefit of silence is that silence purifies our words. Uh, A couple years ago, we were uh, heading up to my uncle's 50th anniversary party and um, we're getting ready to leave the house. And we're like, hey kids, just, just bring like an activity or book something to do. Like, nah, that's too much work to pack about it. Like, no, really, there are going to be no other kids. It's like a boring grown-up party. Like, bring something for, for our, our time. And so we drive up to Albany and it's nice. My whole extended family is there. You know, my parents, their grandma and grandpa. And the food is actually very good. It was not dry chicken. It was yummy food. And my uncle gave a nice little anniversary speech and cried a little bit. I just think it's 
so good for my kids to see 70-year-old men crying about how much they love their wives. And so the whole family is gathered together, big round tables. At one point, there's a lull in the conversation. And my daughter says, Dad, you said that this was going to be a boring party, but I'm having fun. <laughs> the, the right words are important. The wrong words are remembered. <laughs> I'm sorry, Stephen. My cousin almost died laughing. That was, she was, thought that was so funny. Um, Richard Foster says, only when we are able to be truly silent are we able to speak the words that are truly needed. Words are a thermometer for our hearts. They show the temperature. Um, but silence can be a thermostat for our hearts that controls the temperature. Our words show what our soul is like. Do, like you say, yeah, I see what's going on. I, but... When we keep silence, we can actually change our hearts. There's a control on silence. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, two, three years ago now, one of my good friends was dating a guy who, um, and you know, dating in your uh, mid to late 30s is hard. Um, she was dating a guy who uh, I did not have some good feelings about. So there's a time to speak. And I spoke up, I said, you know, I know you've been waiting for this for a long time. I see good things in him. I also see some serious warning signs. I think that if you continue with this guy, you, you just, some very clear warning signs. Um, and uh, as we've already established, our words do not always change that much. Um, and she continued in a relationship with this guy. And then about six months later, she called me crying. It's just so painful to um, be cheated on is really heartbreaking. Um, and uh, I remember where I was sitting there, and she had not been happy with my advice. She had been like, mm -mm -mm, why are you so uptight? And like, I'm, I'm not uptight. Like, but I remember where I was when I was sitting there, and she's crying on the phone to me. And uh, I don't really remember what she said about whatever circumstance and sorry details and scenario. But I remember God saying to me very clearly, the check in my spirit, if you say I told you so, you lose. If you say I told you so, you lose. There was a time to speak and there was a time to be silent. I think that there are a couple of main connections that, that help us here. Silence and solitude help us love. Thomas Merton is a monk. Um, so as a monk, he had lots of uh, silence. He also had um, other monks living together with him in this weird community called a monastery. And he said, it is in solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers for who they are, not what they say, not how funny or interesting they are. When we can be alone in silence, we, we don't have to fear being alone because we're never alone. We don't have to fear being with others because they don't control us 
holding our words in doesn't make us nervous because God is always speaking for us. And this wisdom stretches beyond uh, the Christian monastery. Uh, The feminist uh, philosopher, author Bell Hooks says that knowing how to be solitary is central to the art of loving. When we can be alone, we can be with others without using them as a means of escape. We can just, when we're content with each, with ourselves, we can just appreciate others for who they are. And being alone is a muscle that grows us in contentment and releases us to appreciate others. And then the other really helpful effect of silence on our words is that it loosens our control. When we speak, we're usually trying to be in control. I don't know about you, but when I say something, I usually have a story I want to communicate or feelings I want to get out or a narrative or opinion or or something I'm wanting to get out there. When we are silent, we let God be in control. Psalm 46, well-known psalm, be still and know that I am God. There's a kind of knowing that comes in silence and stillness, not through words however small those words are. The Hebrew uh, word for be still here, the word be still literally means let go of your grip. Let go of your grip. And know that I am God. The most important knowing comes through being stilled, silenced, and calmed. Silence loosens our grip Uh, and opens up our heart to hear God amidst the cacophony of our own ideas. So practically, how do we enter into this tool, this invitation, this gift of silence? Um, Well, what I'd suggest is throughout the week, just taking five minutes of silence. And sometimes like a minute and a half can feel like a long time of silence. So five minutes, three minutes is a good uh, way to start. Just a five-minute chunk of silence. Maybe it's in the morning to open your day with some silence. Or at the end of the day, a lot has happened. Listen with five minutes. Or maybe in the midday, we see this uh, routine throughout Christian uh, discipleship, morning, noon, and night. Um, I find that right after lunch, that 1 p.m. time, I'm not my most productive. I do not bang out really productive emails, but I can be silent. Uh, Other cultures have this thing called siesta, where they rest in the middle of the day instead of powering through. Um, So five minutes of silence, morning, noon, uh, or night. And then taking little moments of silence. We'll we'll get to a chunk of time, maybe, you know, a meeting ends early, or you wait for someone to pick you up or drop you off for a couple minutes. And instead of trying to fill that time, open that time. So I say, okay, well, I got a couple more minutes before, well, what can I do productive in here? When you feel that impulse, that urge to fill your time, open your time in a couple of minutes of silence or, or solitude. Instead of checking your phone, 
check your spirit. Uh, you're not really going to accomplish that much in the three minutes before your next thing starts. Uh, for myself, you know, I, I start times of prayer regularly with a couple of minutes of silence. Silence is a normal part of my prayer times. Um, I do think for me, those shorter moments of silence is something I do reasonably well. Um, I don't really listen to much in my car. Sometimes I'll turn on a podcast or something. Um, but the car is a great time for just silence and stillness. Uh, I'll sit by my chair and just look out the window for a couple of minutes of silence. It's really refreshing. It's that recalibration that we need uh, throughout our day. To end, uh, let's, let's turn back to Zechariah and check in with him. God made him some big promises that he has had lots of time to think about. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth. When the neighbors heard, everyone praised God. When the child was eight years old, they came for the ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah. That was normal. That's what should be done. After his father, Elizabeth said, no, his name's to be called John. Really? Are you sure? So they brought in his father, who's just been sidelined for a while. Um, he got a tablet. He wrote on it, his name is John. He responds in obedience. What he was told nine months ago, he responds in obedience. Instantly, he could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and news of what had happened spread throughout uh, the whole area of Judea. And then, as he had, his last words were words of question. His last words were words of, are you, really, are you sure? Then he had no words for nine months. Now, he's filled with godly, prophetic words. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies. Now we will be saved from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors, remembered his sacred covenant. And you, my little son, such sweet words of blessing for his child will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us in the path of peace. After nine months of silence, he speaks forth in prophecy. After nine months of stewarding and guarding the word of God, his first words are words that are recorded for posterity forever in Holy Scripture. God's power is far greater than our words to name or to question we cannot comprehend or talk about the things that God is doing. Silence makes room for the fullness of God's working. 
placing everything into God's hands, trusting God's transforming power in the yet unknown. In times of silence, uh, we can know God's plan and God's love for us in even deeper ways.